Welcome to another film stuff. Today's episode is sponsored by, I would say, flannel pajamas and wine. It's getting into that wintery kind of weather, and we're all in flannel pajamas. Oh yeah, we should take a picture of this. It's、we、like、should. ridiculous. We're like matching in、uh, different colors, but all full-on pants and tops, flannel pajamas, and it's wine. That time of year. What is today's episode about? Today's episode, we're going to discuss about creative burnouts. Ooh, burnout breakdown in YouTube. <laughs> I realized last night that I, I can't keep doing the vlogs. And a confluence of all of those pressures—the external pressures from outside, the internal pressures from inside—I、uh, think can be challenging. It's challenging to deal with. Not, you know, just trying to keep up with everything last year. I was skipping meals, losing sleep, feeling exhausted all day, and I ended up developing what was a minor addiction. Recent two years,、mm. I've seen a lot of like big YouTuber to small YouTubers like talking about burnouts and like taking a step back from their channels. Also, like what do I call them? Like social media cleansing、mm-hmm. or somewhat. There's a lot of that going around.、Mm-hmm. Talking about mental health and creative、um, health, I would say. Yeah, let's get the disclaimer right off the bat, man. Let me just say right off the bat that. We are very pro being able to talk about mental health. I think it is important to acknowledge that there are more important things than maybe your YouTube channel, like health and well-being. And I think it's a good thing that people are opening a conversation about mental health.、Mm-hmm. So if you feel like that's what you need to do to talk about it or to deal with it in your own way, and part of what you do is your therapy is to be creative, then who am I to tell you what to do? So I just wanted to get that out of the way at the top of the show. Of course,、um, we are very pro being healthy, both mentally and physically. And physically. All these YouTubers and social media influencers that are that are getting burnt out and that are either stepping away from their channels or are publicly talking about their burnout. I don't think that what's happening is true. Creative burnout necessarily. I think for some people it probably is, but I think for most YouTubers it's not true creative burnout. It's not like you're out of ideas. Like that's not really. I mean, maybe it is for some people. What do you think is actually happening with them? I know what's really happening. What? Tell me. You already have seen YouTubers say like, "Oh, my interests change, my life change." Like they're talking about a remotely something totally different than what their channel started with. Because they evolve as people, we do. We grow, and we have different interests. And you can't just talk about one narrow thing that you just had an interest or had a, you know. I mean,、um, some of these creators are starting when they're so young. Exactly. I mean, can you imagine at fourteen liking the same things that you're gonna like at twenty-four? I mean, YouTube has been around long enough that some of these people started at a very young age, and naturally. What it is that they're into will change over time. It's like comes down to same thing. If you deter from so much from your style, people hate you. And then if you try to explore new things, people hate you. So you are stuck in this like thing you have to do that people like you because, and then you don't like doing it. And you're like, oh, like, and then you, you know, it gets so much emotional drain from like things you. Don't like to do, and it's such a hard feeling. And I know it from personal experience. <laughs> it's really hard to do something you hate every day than thing you do like doing every day. <laughs> so significantly, it's a different. It's a different thing. Inevitably, some of it is going to be people 
that have very little experience with work not knowing how to manage a real workload. Oh, that's so true. It's harsh, but I think that's true. I think because a lot of these YouTubers find it young before they've experienced professional life, before they've experienced life. They're just, they, I think it's, I think there's, there's a lot of that. I think some, there are some genuine cases of creative burnout. I think a lot of it is just like, just poor workload management because either you don't know or you don't know how, or you haven't had a good enough mentor who could take your hand and say, you should be doing this. You've taken too much on your plate. I will be the first to admit that a video is not an easy thing to throw together. And I know how rigorous their schedules are. And I know that it's like a lot of extra work. I know it goes into a video, but I laugh because I'm like, if you were in the film world, you would just think nothing of a 21 hour day because that's just how it is in production. This is a hard industry. And I think that that's one of those things that like film has always been a hard industry, film production, film editing. It's, I don't think it's a good thing necessarily, but I just think that like, that's kind of how they, this industry is. And like, it's easier when it's your own timeline, it's your own subject matter, you're the master of your own domain and you get to make whatever subject matter you want. It's almost easier than being on an insane timetable. You can't have no you control, have no control over. Exactly. So I do empathize with creators being burnout. I think their feelings are valid. And yeah, could this be hard? Exactly. And their complaints about YouTube algorithm are legit. I know. I think we should kind of explain about the YouTube algorithm and why people are complaining about it. Yeah. If you don't not know about this, like being whatever YouTube algorithm, whatever True. favoring. True. So, so YouTube, YouTube operates, operates on another of implicit and explicit feedback. Explicit, explicit feedback are the things that you click, like the like button, the subscribe button, the alarm button. Implicit feedback are things that you do. How far through the video do you get? Do you always click the new video from this subscriber? Did you rewatch the video? YouTube takes all of these factors and then comes up with this thing that the last we know hasn't really been confirmed in a while, but in 2014, we, we know that YouTube, YouTube took all these numbers, numbers and, created and created a couple different things. things. The, main the main thing it created was what's called view velocity, velocity. How, how fast, fast something, something is spreading, spreading and being watched. <laughs> Let's say Susie and I publish a new video. It doesn't show that video to all of our subscribers. It will show that video to people that have opted in, people that have clicked the alarm bell and have said, yes, I want to see every single video that Susie and Lee make. They'll get the video. And it will also give the video to a percentage of our subscribers. And then those subscribers who get served the video, YouTube is gonna watch how many people click on it. And then of the people that click on it, how many people actually watch it? How many people get through it? And is this video compared to all of our other videos on average, is this video underperforming or is it overperforming? Is it doing better than all of our other videos or is it doing slightly less good? Based on that information, YouTube will choose who to serve it to. Do I serve it to a larger number of our subscribers? This is obviously an overly simplistic view of how the YouTube algorithm works. It's based on a lot of other stuff like metadata, descriptions, titles, keywords that we ourselves set on the video. It's also based on what other videos are happening in the week. It's also based on what region you are. It's based on you as a viewer, what your watch history is. It's an extremely complicated set of math equations that help you YouTube determine what videos you might want to watch. Precisely. And that's why you will see a lot of YouTubers say like, hit the bell, ding, ding, so you know what other videos are going live. Look and subscribe. Don't forget to leave a comment and subscribe if you haven't already. Subscribe. Actually, YouTube is like informing these YouTubers 
to do this kind of action, right. like in their videos. It's also helpful to teach your subscribers how to turn on notifications. Oh, like you want to get more notifications from people or clicking on the notification, this will help you grow your subscribers or viewership, whatever, watch time. Right. Notifications tend to kickstart early traffic to your new uploads. So it used to be, give us a thumbs up or subscribe here. And now it's ring the bell. Like we now have all smash that like button. You know, we have, we've evolved. YouTubers have evolved in how they make these calls to action. And it really does, honest to God, make a difference. I mean, it's incredible. I think YouTube's recommendation engine is one of the best. It's extremely advanced. There's a really great paper about it I read. And they're trying to balance the right mix of like showing you stuff that you like and that is gonna land well. And then also showing you new things that you haven't seen before. I do think that the end result of the YouTube algorithm or a set of, let's be honest, it's a set of algorithms. Um, the end result is that for a lot of creators taking creative risks can adversely affect your channel. If I make a video and it isn't on the subject matter that I normally publish about, then viewers who are expecting a certain type of video from me and get a different one will maybe not watch the rest of it and YouTube will think, oh, people don't like this video, it's not a good video. And so you are kind of incentivized to keep making the same sorts of things because the more similar all your videos are, the better YouTube is at categorizing your type of videos. So the better it becomes at serving your videos to other people that haven't seen them because it knows what your videos are. And so if you're making a whole bunch of different types of videos on your channel, it's really hard for the YouTube machine to sort of understand how each video is different before it's been watched by people. Mm -hmm. And That's the first true. couple hours of a video's life are the most important because it determines how well, how many other yeah. people your video could serve to. So it's it's quite difficult. It is very difficult. That's that's why I think this is a really great great point. Because it incentivizes like the same kind of similar content that you you are making. Most like successful I think YouTube channels have their programming. Like oh, Mondays yeah. they have like like Q&A sections or like, you know, they have all these programs because... Yeah, like broadcast channels. It's it's like a proven model. Come on now. Exactly. So I think, you know, people are kind of stuck into that rhythm and that rhythm gives them more structure and I would say cash flow of money. Uh, yeah, stability. Stability of actually the ad revenue. Yeah, no, that's so true though. There's like... You, I know you've had this happen. There's a TV show that you love and you watched a couple seasons of it and it was really good. And then at some point it went downhill and it just wasn't as good anymore. And it doesn't matter how many seasons it is, this has happened to multiple different television series and like you still kind of love it, but then it was really not as good after a certain point. That is the business machine going through the same problem that a lot of YouTubers are going through, which is I have created a show format. I've created programming. I've created, this is how I do things. And it got me to a point of popularity, but then for whatever reason, whether it's personal crisis mm. or creative burnout, or I'm out of ideas or my favorite editor left, it doesn't really matter what the problem is it's no longer holding the same appeal for the audience. It could be them, could be you, we don't really know. <laughs> but the fact remains is exactly the same. It's like, you remember that they were once great, and so maybe you'll check out some of their new stuff, but it just doesn't really hold the same appeal as the old stuff, and there's not really anything anybody can do about it. Yeah. And the creator probably feels the same. They feel trapped by the same conundrum, is that what made me who I am is this, whatever it was, programming that I did before, and I want to change it, but I'm afraid that if I do change it, 
it's going to ruin everything. In the music world, we expected that people would come out with an album, and then maybe they'd tour, and then they'd go away, and we wouldn't hear from them for a while, and then they'd work on another album, and then maybe they'd go on tour, and then on tour they'd maybe play one or two songs from the new album, and you'd have to be there to hear them, and then we wouldn't hear anything until the first single gets released. And there was this sort of pattern of like public release and press tours and interviews and public facing, and then privately working on your thing, writing the new songs, coming up with the album. And for some artists, it was very quick. It happened regularly. They'd write the new album while they were on tour with the old one, and then they'd come back and record it in a short period of time and then pump it out. And then for some other artists, it took like 10 years between the first album and the next album for example, but even in YouTube, it's like you're sort of expected that everything is so public all the time. We're now supposed to be talking about while we're going through the growth phase. Whereas a lot of in the past, how artists work pre-social media was like you'd withdraw, focus on some stuff, do your own things, go through whatever you're going through, use that to feel your creative something and then come out with what you came out with and people would love it or hate it. But a lot of it now is capturing the process, capturing the evolution, talking about it while it's happening, which is admittedly a little bit show. Yeah, a little bit show. And not as if you're really pretty going, polished or hmm. good watching as it would be if you had incubated it for a while. Exactly. I think for a lot of people, it's that they have not maintained a very good balance between their personal and their creative work. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, they, when they didn't have an idea, instead of working with not having an idea, they kind of went to content that ate out of some personal part of them. I think they went to something that was very deep and emotional and honest and real and let me just vlog my whole life. And I think that when you do that and you don't have a space for your own personal stuff, I think that's what leads you to feel burnout. Because in my opinion, I think burnout is really a lack of meaning more than it is being tired of the work that you're doing. And so I think when you lose touch a little bit with why it is that you love this thing or why it is that you're doing this thing, it makes you feel like there's no point to it. And I think part of that comes from not maintaining your own boundaries around what you need to be a fulfilled person outside of the creative work that you're doing. We both are coming from a creative background and yeah. are still in the creative yeah. world and are kind of a creative type. And know some super talented arty types. Exactly. So I do have some actual experience with um, seeing burnouts, I would say. So when I was in my university years, it was rare to see people who actually graduated like straight four years. I mean, and this is true even in graduate school in Korea. I thought it was totally bonkers when I found this out. And definitely in film, but even in undergraduate, like they hew hawk all the time. They just like take a semester off and then you do an internship or you get a part-time job or you work on your script or lots of people don't straight go through the whole four years, which was kind of unusual in America. Almost everybody I know did all four years of their undergraduate or their graduate degree, like if they had three years or seven years or however long their program was. It's kind of, I understand where they're coming from, but I also don't understand where they're coming from. <laughs> so basically it's like this. So in art school, most of the times, it's not really about the grade. So the portfolio is the most important part, of course, for any field. So I remember after freshman, sophomore year, I kind of never slept, like the least <laughs> slept in my whole entire like life. What were you doing though, instead of sleeping? Exactly, so like my classes usually ended like 9 p.m. 
Like, can you imagine? Like, yes, my classes are at 9pm too. Right? <laughs> and then I had like five to seven major, my major assignments a week. So five to seven different classes, I have to do a different assignment. So every day, I'm like not sleeping until like 3 to 4 a.m. and doing this assignment and then sleeping maybe four hours mm. and then going to school. After a couple of semesters of this, you're really tired because you haven't really slept and like you've had to just pump out so much creative work that then gets held up by like famous professors to really criticize the crap out of like you just don't have any ideas left you yeah basically left to basically it's like insane they give yeah, you the materials you have so many credits too i remember but imagine that over six classes a semester and every week there's an assignment yeah exactly it's not just our school it's all art schools of course um so well not all art schools, schools. no <laughs> no no there's a lot of like people who are think rethinking their career after two years a year because it's so rigorous. I'm yeah. like, do they really want to go through this? And is this like kind of the industry they want to be in? Also, you have to factor in this. Most of these people are not coming from a creative background. Like they don't know how to deal with a lot of like, um, Oh yeah, that is creative, such, such a huge dimension to this. Creative, um, first of all, creative criticism. They don't know how to deal with a lot of um, creative limitations. And they don't know really how to... They know how to do this one thing really good. So they don't have any diversity or actually Range. flexibility flexibility of creating different things. So it will always feel abrupt, like so out of... Character? Not, yeah, out of character. You know, it's like... I'm not blaming them to not being flexible, but that's, they don't come from like, that's like always trying to figure out your style, trying different things, always getting criticism. Like yeah. you always get criticism it's, every yeah, day. I mean, you feel awful about your work always. Always, yeah, always. But it, because YouTube is like the most addictive kind of medium, you get reaction right away. You get viewership right away. Mm. You know what the reactions right away. So you're expecting that caliber of and speed of reaction from people who view your videos. And most of the time in the creative world, it's not like that. It's never like no, that. No, that's such a good point. So I think it's very addictive in a somewhat way. You're like, it's video Twitter. <laughs> video Twitter. You just fart some shit up there and then people tell you whether they liked it exactly. within a day. Exactly. It's kind of cray cray when you think about it because none of the other film projects I've ever worked on, like here's a typical film timeline. They film it for 45 days. They give me the footage. We spend three months in production. Then I master the thing. It goes out to some DI thing for another, I don't hear about it for another six months. And then it gets accepted to a festival. And then suddenly, it, and then everyone's talking about it. I don't find out whether people liked the film that I edited or not for a good nine to 18 months. <laughs> And by then, I found another film to work on. It's like a not like, and then then you and I will post a YouTube video, and within 24 hours, like we'll post it at night, we'll go to bed, we'll wake up in the morning, and we'll check the comments, and we'll know whether this is a good video for our viewers or not. 
which is insane. <laughs> Think about it. It's exactly. insane. Exactly. That's such a good point. If burnout is this problem that a lot of people are facing, if breakdown is this thing that a lot of people have been brought to the cusp of, what do you think is the, not necessarily solution, but what do you think is a, is a, a tonic that can help? I actually have an answer. Hit me with it. So you remember Jack's Gap? I do! Jack's Gap. Hmm, he was promising. I would say he was promising. Promising is the right word. Very promising YouTuber. And then he just kind of left. And he found a different passion for photography. And he just like kind of pursued that route. And his twin brother, Finn, also went to real school and went yeah, to architecture. I remember architecture school, right? And or he's kind of graphic design, something. Architecture, I think. He pursued his studies and then that, that was kind of it. Because of YouTube, they were able to find different opportunities. They took really great choice. Like I would say, they chose really wisely to whatever they want to do in the next step. And they're doing it. Not just making videos and saying they're burnt out. If your future as a creative is off of YouTube, that's okay. Exactly. I, I think if you found creativity... It's a really awesome thing that you found passion on and you like, oh, you made videos and then people really like it. That means you have potential of making other creative things. So like if you pursue actual traditional studies on it, take time. And I think that's okay. And I think one other example, PewDiePie's girlfriend, let's say she also quit YouTube. I think she just like, well, she was PewDiePie's girlfriend, and then she opened a YouTube channel, and then just, like, stopped. That's fine, yo. Listen, at this point in time, YouTube gonna be around. It'll still be here. Mm-hmm. Film has been here for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. It's not going anywhere. Patience, young folk. Patience. So we've established, like, one big antidote is, like, yo, if your future is off YouTube, like, that's fine. That's totally cool. Who one of my filmmaking heroes is, is James Cameron, which Susie, you know this because we've talked about it. And I love James Cameron, not because I think his films are like the world's greatest films that have ever made. I think none of his films make my top 10 of like favorite films of all time. But I think that in terms of, not in terms of a person, in terms of a filmmaker, he's a fairly good model to work after. I mean, he has pushed the medium forward. He's gotten critical acclaim. He's gotten commercial acclaim. But the thing that I really love is like, he takes time in between his films to like, go do a thing that he's interested in, to fill his cup again, so to speak. And then he comes back with a renewed vigor and interest in like, I went and studied all this deep sea diving, treasure hunting, pirate ship stuff. And then I came back and worked it into the Titanic script. And we all know how Titanic turned out. And then he's like, I went off into the jungles and did this conservation thing because I'm interested in environmentalism. And then I came back and I put it all into Avatar. There's a very personal life experience touch that goes into the films that he makes. And I think that that's part of what is required of super creative work is that a little bit of yourself has to go into it. And if you aren't filling your cup, so to speak, then it's very hard to keep putting out that high quality output of your work. Hmm. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It was a particularly... It wasn't easy to really go through. I I think 
it was really rambly in somewhat way but we definitely think it was kind of a thing we should definitely want to discuss yes because it does seem to be a common problem should we go through our reviews yeah we should do you want to read it again? Let's go again. Let's go again. No, actually, what I do really want to know is our last podcast was a little bit longer, and this one's a little bit on the longish side, too. Do you like the longer podcasts? Would you rather have them be shorter? Please let us know in an iTunes podcast review. I think maybe some people are too young to know how to balance their workloads. I think maybe some people are too young to know how to set proper boundaries. I think some people are genuinely burnt out. Maybe part of it is a creative difference, but I think a lot of it can be managed. I think burnout, I do agree with Adam Grant and the original guy who wrote Burnout. I forget what his name is. I read his book. I really think a lot of it is about lacking meaning in your work. I don't think it's about the volume of work. I don't think it's about the intensity of work. I think it's about the lack of satisfaction and meaning in the work that you do. I, I totally, absolutely agree with that statement. And I don't want to add anything. And I think we should end it right here.